This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hi there, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought. Uh, this is episode 12. You're here with your hosts, Rod, hello, and uh, my colleague, Adam. Hello. Uh, and this week, we are going to be talking uh, about which is the most generous country, which is obviously a shamelessly clickbait title. Uh, but if it pays off, then I'm going to be totally unapologetic about it. Um so yeah, to, to kick this off, we're actually going to talk about a report that we at CAF produce um, every year. Uh, and Adam, you're pretty heavily involved in that, so you're the man to, to go to about it. Um, so perhaps you can just kick us a little bit uh, off by talking about what the CAF World Giving Index is all about. Yeah, well, actually, before I even do that, I'm just going to answer the question just to get it over and done with. What is the most generous country in the world in terms of overall amount of money given? It's America. You all knew it was America. Uh, That's the obvious answer, (laughs) and that is the correct answer. But our report attempts to kind of rebalance that question so that it doesn't unduly benefit the biggest countries, so that it doesn't unduly benefit the richest countries. Uh, So the World Giving Index asks just three really quite simple questions, which is, have you given money to charity in the last month? Have you volunteered in the last month? And have you helped a stranger in the last month? Now, that third question uh, is there for a reason, because in lots of countries, there's very little organised civil society and much of the giving is informal. Um, And actually, also, a lot of that might not be considered either volunteering and it might not be cash, so it might be just helping people out locally. It's important to measure it because it helps to rebalance how we think about generosity. So we're measuring participation, in these acts of generosity rather than the financial value of them. Yeah, and I think, you know, from my point of view, what's always really interesting about the World Giving Index, precisely because of that, because you kind of you're not just talking about numbers of people and amounts of of money, which as you say would always just end up with the usual suspects coming up top. It actually throws up some fascinating and quite surprising results in terms of the countries who come out on top. So for instance, pretty much every year since we've done it, I think the country that comes out top um, in terms of donations of money, participation in donations of money, is uh, Myanmar. Yeah. Um, you know, and when it, we first started, I think we sort of thought, oh, that's odd. We had no idea where that is. And actually, you know, you kind of looked into this and I think have found quite, you know, the explanation for that. Yeah. Look, um, I, I think when we talk about Myanmar right at the moment, the first thing to say is, look, we are measuring these three measures, and we're not experts in Myanmar, really. Um, and I think we need to flag up the the, the humanitarian crisis that's happening uh, on the border of Myanmar. Um, Absolutely. With, and in Rakhine. It's tragic to see. Um, it's, not, it's not something that our report can pick up or measure or that we can really even comment on, apart from just to say that it's, it's really tragic. So it's important to have that, uh, have that there at the top. Um, what we can say is that on those three measures, without question, uh, Myanmar is the top most generous country in the world in terms of participation in those three activities. We can say that because I think now it's the fourth year in a row where it's come top. 
Um, so it's clearly, it's not an outlier. Um, now, the, the explanations, you know, have lots of different ex- explanations, but I have spoken to uh, people who are who have genuine expertise and experience in Myanmar, and they will they'll back up this claim. And part of the explanation, I think, is um, Myanmar's specific culture of uh, of Theravada Buddhism, where there's you know about five percent of the population live the monastic uh, lifestyle. And they're supported through the do- through donations of ordinary people in doing that. Uh, it's called sangadana. Um, so much of the population engage in giving to support their their local monasteries. And actually, those those uh, those living the monastic lifestyle actually provide a lot of services which are helpful to the poor. Um, so even though it's religious giving, um, it certainly in some ways does fit what we might consider as charitable giving and and hence you get this incredible uh score uh, amongst all three categories of generosity and Myanmar tops our index yeah absolutely and you sort of see the the same in terms of surprising results um in in the other categories of uh volunteering time and things so i think indonesia yeah. came top this year in in volunteering and in previous years there's been sort of odd uh examples where former Soviet uh, nations have, have come out extremely highly and kind of not just at the top, but a long way at, at the top. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, kind of, you know, what again, that was sort of the, the explanation for that turned out to be quite interesting. Yeah, well, in, in, the, in that case, uh, Turkmenistan, I think it was, who mm. absolutely annihilated the competition <laughs> in terms of the proportion of people who had volunteered in the last month. And that was because the government had called a Subotnik in that month. Now, uh, Subotnik is uh, this old tradition of Saturday volunteering that comes all the way back from Soviet times, actually a time of uh, of Lenin, uh, where workers would gather on the weekends to do kind of uh, large scale uh, projects um, that that society needs that can only be done by uh, organised work. Um, but this in many, uh, well, in a number of ex-Soviet countries has been kind of solidified into actually an apparatus of the state where the state can call a subotnik and essentially compel people to volunteer. So whether we would consider that as volunteering or not, it's it's an interesting question. It's not one that we can directly answer, but that's possibly the explanation for those uh, outlying results. And I think these kind of interesting outliers are often what I'm most interested in the index mm, uh, because definitely. it asks questions that we would not have otherwise asked. And, you know, it's, it's probably not for us to answer them, to be fair. Um, it's interesting for people within their own country to ask questions about why they may have gone up or down and to provide those explanations. And we've seen time and time again all over the world, the World Giving Index gets a lot of press and has actually culminated in, you know, discussions in uh, parliaments and senates around the world and uh, has even le- led to changes in policy uh, yeah. to try and redress what you know a sense of a sense that uh, a country is falling behind in its culture of giving so you know that's the impact that it can have yeah and i think you're right you know i think by our own admission it's um it, it's a fairly sort of rudimentary measure but the benefit of of that is that it does allow you to have that kind of global comparison 
And actually, you know, one of the things that we have now, having done it for a number of years, is we've got the sort of longitudinal view as well. So we can see how things have changed over time. Yeah. And that's been really interesting, particularly because this year, actually, the main sort of headline story was quite a negative one. Like most yeah. countries and, and continents were actually down in terms of all all of the, the things that we measure. Yeah. The only exception to the rule being Africa. And that yeah. in itself, that's a fascinating story. It's an amazing result, and it's something we've been sort of looking out for. Over the last few years, we've been talking a lot about the potentials to, and we're going to, in this podcast as well, the, mm-hmm. the potential of uh, newly aspirant you know, middle classes to engage in giving uh, in developing countries. And you know, we've seen that in a number of what we might call like transitioning middle-income countries, but this year seems to be the year that Africa has stepped on. Uh, I think five African countries have had... Uh, growth in the last year of more than five percentage points uh, in the index, which is pretty remarkable uh, in the context where pretty much everywhere else has fallen. Now, to give you an idea of how much, like in all of the um, rich Western countries in the top 20, every single one of them has fallen this year. Um, there is actually, and we we you know we've now got a situation where only six of the G twenty are actually in the top twenty in the World oh. Giving Index. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it really shows that uh, you know engagement in giving is uh, you know money is some predictor of it, but it's not a very good predictor actually. Okay then, yeah, we're back for the second section. Having looked a bit at, you know, what the World Giving Index is all about and some of the findings from this year's report, I suppose the the question that a lot of people would ask is, you know, what can you actually do with these findings? How can you turn them into to positive action uh, to try and kind of drive more philanthropy? And that's something that you've been working on, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, look, the, the question that most people end up asking when they look at the World Giving Index and see these uh, results that they might not necessarily predict is, why is it then, if some countries at the same level of economic development give way, way more than others, and none of that can be can be kind of reliably explained by politics or by uh, religion or any one single factor, given that, what does explain it? And when we learn what explains those differences, what can we do to try and affect change in those countries that have may maybe have lower levels? Um so we have a, a report that's been published, part of a campaign, uh, the Groundwork for Growing Giving campaign. Uh, the report was laying the groundwork for growing giving uh, that looks to try and quantify the potential of giving if we were able to sort of catalyze it by making some key changes. Um, and what we've, what we've sort of found out is that actually when people talk about philanthropy in the emerging world, often from the West talking about the development of philanthropy in other countries. We tend to focus on the low-hanging fruit and talk about, you know, a handful of very wealthy people and the need to engage them in the giving pledge. And that's fine and, you know, worthy, and it is important to engage them. But increasingly, from our research, we're starting to realise that that's not the biggest potential. The biggest potential is to engage ordinary people who are moving into the middle classes and therefore have some kind of discretionary income that might allow them now to give. And we've seen that in the World Giving Index in Africa this year. So, you know, what might that potential be? Well, we took data from the Brookings Institute and some of our own data, and we've been able to sort of 
look at projections for the growth of middle-class spending, which is going to roughly double by 2030, most of that growth is going to come from uh, emerging economies. Mm. Um, And based on that, we can calculate if middle-class people by 2030 were able to give about 0.5% of their spending over to charitable giving, which is less than people in the UK. It's way less than people in the US, less than half. Um, Even just that proportion would generate about $319 billion a year in in extra um, philanthropy. Um, A figure that's kind of so massive, it's quite hard to put into context but it's you know it's 17 times the un's annual funding shortfall to give it some wow. perspective yeah. and it's you know bigger than entire the entire gdp of economies like singapore and denmark so it's a lot of money serious money yeah and i suppose one of the things that i've i think's been really interesting the stuff you've been doing is is actually it's kind of raised a question about whether one of the assumptions in as you say a kind of global efforts to build a culture of philanthropy are actually totally the wrong way around because i think where yeah. people focus on very wealthy people obviously that makes sense to some degree because that's where the money is and though you know they are the lowest hanging fruit in some sense um but there's a kind of extrapolation from that to the idea that actually if you want to drive a wider culture of giving what you need to do is start at the top and then there'll be a kind of trickle-down effect. Yeah. Whereas actually, what you, in one of the, it's going to be quite difficult to explain, but there's like a, you looked at a graph of correlating, I think it was kind of the, the levels of giving amongst the wealthy and the gap between the middle class and the wealthy. Yeah. And actually in those countries where there is a bigger gap between them, the wealthy are giving less. So actually yeah. there's, there's a question about which way around the causation runs, but yeah. it's quite possible that actually it would be more profitable to focus efforts on driving up middle-class giving and that that would then lead to wealthier people giving more rather than the other way around. Exactly. We can't show causation, but mm. if if the assumption is that um, it makes most sense to start with getting the wealthy to give and then that might you know set a precedent that other people want to follow, that assumption is no stronger and is no more provable than the counterfactual that mm. I've I've posited, which is that, no, actually, increasing engagement of middle classes in giving creates a wider culture of giving and then amplifies the expectation that the wealthy should give. So yeah. neither, the, you can't show causation, so you can't prove either, and neither until someone else comes up with a better answer, I'm as confident in my answer as uh, as in the other. The one thing that's absolutely true is, the closer, uh, the the smaller the gap between the pro- the proportion of middle class people and wealthy people that give, the more both give, and the bigger the gap, the less both give. So clearly, if you have a country where the the wealthy are already giving, but the the poor are not, it makes much more sense to try and focus on middle class giving uh, to catch up um, rather than to continue to focus on. Uh, increasing wealthy giving now none of this is to say that the giving of uh, wealthy people isn't important it's crucial obviously um Mm. but but i don't think they should be i I suppose you need to try and focus on the whole ecosystem rather than on a specific audience and when you do that you realize that your approach needs to be totally different and you know what we found is actually we think it's important that more funders uh and governments focus on creating the sort of infrastructure 
that makes for an environment where people are encouraged to give, that makes for an environment where it's easy for charities to sort of register where they're well-regulated and trusted. All of the services, some of them boring, uh, that allow charities to thrive and make it easier for donors to engage with them. Yeah, well, you know, all the best policy work is fundamentally boring. It generally shows you, <laughs> it shows you onto the right track. So, but but luckily, we're able to plaster a huge number on top of yeah. this piece of policy work, which hopefully opens some doors for us. Uh, you know, to Trojan horse in our <laughs> <laughs> our policy asks. Boring yet very practical recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then we're back for the final section. And in this one, we're going to be moving away a little bit from the World Giving Index and looking at, again, a bit of work we've done, but addressing a pretty kind of fundamental and I think really interesting question. You know, when you talk about which are the most generous countries and what it is that drives a culture of philanthropy, you will get some people very confidently asserting that it's all to do with the size of government and it is, you know, a straightforward inverse relationship. Yep. You reduce government and taxes, you get more giving. And that is, according to them, why the states does so well and why countries, you know, that have large welfare states don't do so well. Whereas actually, you went to the unprecedented step of actually looking at the figures on this, Adam, and you found that it's nowhere near as clear as that. No, there's no, absolutely no correlation. None. Zero. <laughs> so let me just zero a big fat round yeah zero. there's there is yeah. no in fact in some depending on what you measure on some of it there are negative correlations right. <laughs> so um but it's totally understandable that people may may think oh well you know maybe it seems kind of logical you're like well increase the size of the state and the provision of its services and therefore the taxes that it levies on people and people will likely give less um because you know there's they may perceive there's less need. They're already being mandated to give some of their salary away, so they're le- they're disinclined to do it uh, from themselves. You know, it's a diff- it's a different social contract. So you can see why they would think that. And then if you kind of use your own experience of the countries that you may be kind of a fay with the charitable culture in, that would seem to back it up. So you know, people will anecdotally anecdotally tell you, you know, US and Canada uh, have high rates of giving and low taxes. Uh, countries like the UK that are somewhere in between have high rates of giving, maybe not quite as much as the US. Uh, European countries with high taxes tend to give less. Now, if you just select those countries, that's a pretty small sample. And actually that would more or less back up what you're saying with the exception that actually some of those high tax countries in Europe are also really generous, like uh, the Netherlands, for example. Um, Also, the notion... Our notion of which countries are high and low tax are a little bit warped by our political perceptions. And actually, uh, the US and the UK don't actually look particularly low tax compared to uh, a lot of other countries. But then finally, when you actually just run the sample bigger and taking a lot more countries from around the world, you find out that there just is no correlation, really, at all. And there are... There are reasons for it. There's, so there's no correlation between how much tax people pay and how much they give. There's no correlation between the size of the state and how much they give. There's On all of these individual measures, there's just no no real correlation. If we had an even bigger sample, so I think our sample is sort of 30-odd countries, maybe, maybe that would change. But from the countries that we can find data for, there's no correlation. Now, to, and that's partly, I think, because there are some contrary arguments that people don't consider. So first one, here's a big one for you. 
if you tax people highly and then give them tax incentives, those tax tax incentives are way more attractive. So if yeah, I'm taxed, absolutely. if I'm taxed sixty percent of my income, but I can give to charity and and get a, get the full tax incentive, you know, get a hundred percent of the tax I paid on that donation back. The marginal cost of giving is incredibly cheap. Uh-huh. So actually, countries with high tax are the incentives are uh, more compelling. But I mean, even that, I don't think it explains it. It's more, it's more the fact it, giving is complicated. It's about a wider culture and it's about the extent to which uh, you have an enabling legal environment for charities. It's about, you know, religious history. It's about so many other factors than just the size of the state. And finally, I guess I would say uh, the assumption that generosity is kind of a finite equation just doesn't doesn't follow it's not a zero-sum game where you you either pay tax or you give to charity um so yeah and actually you know from what i you know i've looked at on this stuff as well there's there's just as much evidence of kind of crowding in effects through taxation and government as there are of crowding out and i think the assumption that if you have taxation and state provision of welfare that crowds out the space for philanthropy well as you say Maybe in specific instances, in a narrow sense, it does. But then if more broadly, that same government also provides the infrastructure for kind of well-run civil society and kind of mechanisms for giving and tax incentives, then it might well be that those things balance out or even tip back in favour of philanthropy. And also, you know, people's perception of the size of government in countries, I don't think is necessarily that good. I mean, if you ask a lot of people about you know, the the situation in the US, uh, ignoring the fact that there are all kinds of historical and cultural factors, they'd probably say, oh, well, you know, they don't spend so much on social welfare, you know, as much as the UK. Well, actually, they spend quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the mechanism for doing it is different. It tends to be sort of insurance models and things like that. But state provided welfare under kind of the agreed and accepted definitions, the level of spending is actually surprisingly high. And yet people do still give a lot more, but that's far more to do with kind of social and cultural expectations than than anything to do with the size of the state, I think. And I think it does a disservice, particularly when we talk about this in the American context, I think it does a huge disservice to the the generosity of American people, actually, to mm. assume that they're only given this much because of their culture of kind of, or presumed, assumed culture of low taxation. I suspect and actually there's some evidence of this from uh um tax records going back that when tax goes up i don't think that's going to result in less giving it might result for wealthy people in more giving because the tax incentives are more attractive but generally i think americans have a culture of generosity that will override the size of government regardless of how big government is um mm. maybe not 100% but to a greater extent i i suspect that that argument is defensible. It might be different in different countries, but, you know, guess what? Countries have quite specific contexts and it's really difficult to just uh, assume a very simplistic uh, blanket argument of, you know, this change to the size of the state has this effect on giving. They're, they're, the the ecosystem is really complicated and the contexts are very specific and I just turns out that doesn't really work. And that, and that is why, you know, as we well know from people who've spent quite a lot of time working and trying to come up with policies that can build a wider culture of philanthropy, it's often bloody difficult because it isn't about, 
oh, this one change to the tax system or this one piece of legislation or, oh, if we only had a US you know, system of direct deduction, everything would be different. It's just not as easy as that. No. And actually to move the needle so that you know countries like the UK and others can catch up to you know the level of giving in the US as a proportion of GDP is going to be about a whole range of factors, social, cultural and whatever, that are you know difficult to achieve real change in i mean it's not an easy task and that's annoying for me <laughs> in a lot of ways because <laughs> yeah. i'd like it to be an easy task but you know that's why we've got to keep plugging away at this stuff yeah you wrote a, port- a report a few years ago didn't you comparing uh the the whole sort of context particularly the tax context for charities and donors mm. in the u.s to that of the uk because there was a lot of talk at the time of saying you know can we not uh, appropriate some of the lessons in the u.s and that the reality is uh even those the factors that seem to really help and deliver in the context of the US might be actively harmful over here. We, yeah. you know, we it's very difficult to know. It's like you know, it's like taking uh, a, it's like introducing a different animal into a new ecosystem and assuming that it will have the same effect in that ecosystem. It's very difficult to map out what the likely kind of um, outcome is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and in that report particularly, you know, it's basically a sort of plea to stop making <laughs> yeah. lazy comparisons between the UK and the US. I mean, in some places, there are useful comparisons to be made. But for instance, around taxation, you know, I just got bored by the number of times I heard people saying, oh, they give more in the US because they have more generous tax breaks. They don't. Actually, numerically, the UK has significantly more generous tax breaks for charitable giving. They're a lot more complicated and they work differently. But actually, if you know how to navigate them, you can get more benefit as a donor than you would in the US. So it's not to do with that. Um, and I think, you know, there are quite a lot of other instances of, of similar misconception. Yeah. So I think that's that's probably going to do us, isn't it, for today? Um, I should say so. But yeah, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate the engagement that we've had uh, from uh, our listeners uh, and encourage more. So whether that's... Uh, subscribing and liking uh, the podcast or whether that's uh, uh, sending us emails to uh, givingthought at cafonline.org uh, with any questions or suggestions you might have or whether that's uh, talking and engaging with us uh, on Twitter, all of it's very welcome. Uh, all that's left to say, I think, is, uh, yeah, visit our website uh, and uh, download uh, all of these reports that we've referred to. Um, A lot of it will be linked in the programme notes. And uh, that's it. Um, See you later. Bye.